Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. So we've been in this series of Neighborhood Watch, what it is to love our neighbor. And personally, uh, just a few months ago, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. And I once said that that was the most difficult sermon series I've ever had to preach through because of what was going on. But now as we're walking through what it is to love our neighbor, the practicality behind it, the application behind it, I have, I've walked away from each of these sermons convicted. And this week was no easier. This week we're talking about, as you heard, I hate myself for, for loving you. This week we're talking about bitterness. Whoa. And as we talk about bitterness today, it's not going to be about, hey, don't be bitter, or this is why bitterness is bad, because I think that goes without saying. We all know bitterness is a terrible thing to live into. We don't need an entire sermon about why it's bad. But today, we're going to talk about all those instances where the temptation to be bitter hit a little too close to home. Today, we're going to talk what to do in the midst of being bitter. And I love today's worship session because even as I was standing here and worshiping, I was thinking to myself, this is an amazing worship set because it is focused on the joy of God as a response to events around us, to things that don't fall into our control. And so today, with following the pattern of each week, we, I, have to, I have to follow suit with what Chip is doing, uh, telling a, a funny story about neighbors. Well, for this particular story, I had, to, I had to ask my mother's permission because it deals with our family, and I had to make sure, like, hey, this isn't going to be, like, too bad, is it? And she said, yeah, it's fine. You don't know the whole story, but it's fine. I'm like, okay, here we go. So if you've lived in Ohio or anywhere in the Midwest for more than a minute, you've heard about the blizzard of 78. It's the winter of all winters. Nothing can be compared to the blizzard of 78. It doesn't matter if it gets 60 below. Someone who lived during the blizzard of 78 will come, ah, this isn't like the blizzard of 78. Let me tell you, the drifts that year were crazy. We were snowed in for three months. So in the midst of the blizzard of 78, um, there was where my grandfather and my mom grew up. The county was saying, hey, to all the farmers, go and clear the county roads. We can't get to them, so you go get to them. My grandfather was a farmer. He decides, as the neighbor that he is, he's going to take his tractor and he's going to clear the roads. And the county will compensate. That was the deal. So... My grandfather, he takes his tractor and he goes and clears the road of snow. And he goes to the courthouse to get his compensation and for whatever reason, I'm just a grandchild, I don't know all the reasons, they say, no, we're not going to compensate you. Well, my grandfather, not being altogether too happy, he goes back and he pushes all the snow right back onto the roads. (laughs) You know, the neighbor he is. Well, at this point in time, the county has been able to get back to the backcountry roads, so they come out and like, all right, fine, like, we'll clear the roads now. 
my grandfather's still not a happy individual. The county comes through and they clear the roads. Well, he's like, no, I didn't get compensated. He pushes the snow back on the road again. Well, eventually, this goes on I don't know how many times, and well, he gets issued a, well, he gets issued a date with the court. And um, let it be known, he walked away with a slap on the wrist of having to pay court fines, and that was about it. Article in the newspaper said, road closed, road opened. Road reclosed, road reopened. It tells a whole story right there. As a grandchild, I, find, I found that absolutely hilarious. And obviously, so do you. But as we listen to the story, it almost seems unreal. Who, who would do this? It's one of those scenes in a movie, like it's one of those cantankerous old men trying to get back at Big Brother. I'm going to show them. And we laugh, and it's comedic, and it's good. But what's funny, or what's interesting, rather, is that as we sit here and laugh about this story, about what my grandfather was doing, and we think of how ridiculous it is, I would make the argument that each and every one of us can relate to what my grandfather felt and what he was doing and what he was trying to do. You see, each and every one of us, we have been angry. We are talking about bitterness today. And we may not be pushing snow back onto the roads, but in the midst of our anger, when the anger is about to fade away, when time has passed, we remember it, and we take all of that anger and push it right back onto the road. You see, as ridiculous as it might sound that my grandfather pushed all the snow back onto the road time and time again, we as humans take our anger, and in the midst of it fading away, melting away, being pushed away, we say, no, we want it back. And we live there, isolated from the rest of the world. Not physically, perhaps, but emotionally spiritually, isolated. Because in our anger, we can justify the injustice. In our anger, we find it easier to cope with somebody not treating us fairly. In our anger, we think we are right. And as long as we are right, then that's all that matters. But in this series, we've been discussing what it is to love our neighbor not love ourselves. And so if our whole duty is to love our neighbor by keeping the anger there, by keeping the anger pushed back onto the road, we keep any access from our neighbors closed off. But we tell ourselves, no, 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 this is easier this way. It's easier this way. They're wrong, I'm right. I'm good, they're bad. I'm going to remain here in the midst of my anger, and it will be just fine. But we have been told as a mandate that we must love our neighbor. And what's interesting about this is, oftentimes our bitterness comes from one thing in our lives. Maybe one person, one scenario, one decision that was made years ago, and we stay in that bitterness thinking that it's not really affecting anybody else but maybe you and that one person. But the fact of the matter is, in the same way that the snow on the road prevents access from all neighbors, our anger, even if it's just between you and one person, affects each and every relationship you have. 
it surrounds you. It isolates you. Friends, today, I want to challenge each and every one of us. Because right here, right now, in this room, there are individuals, maybe you, who are bitter. I know there are bitter individuals in this room. You're angry at something, and you are choosing to live in that anger. When the anger wants to fade away, you become scared of what that will mean. You become scared that maybe you were wrong the entire time. You become scared that a vulnerability will be exposed. You become scared that people won't actually like you. Because when you are bitter and angry and keeping people from you, you, allow, you disallow them from actually getting to know you. And if you can keep people from getting to know the real you, then you never have to know if they like you or not. So you stay in your bitterness. Friends, I know that there are some here right now who are bitter because I see it. And I see it because I have been bitter. And you see it because you have been bitter. Those seasons of life where you want to so quickly justify yourself or promote yourself. Those seasons of life where you just feel every turn you have to vindicate every action. Those seasons of life where all you want is a quick reset from everybody around you. You know what I'm talking about. The fact of the matter is, is that bitterness is blinding. So often we live in it without even realizing it. We live in it because we've chosen to live day after day after day after day and eventually we become blind to all of the anger that surrounds us. But whether we're bitter today or not, eventually, or maybe it already has, the temptation of bitterness will arise. And so we have to remember, in the midst of loving our neighbor, this whole entire series, we have to remember that we cannot love God. We cannot love God if we are unable to love our neighbors. And we cannot love our neighbors if we are bitter. We cannot love God if we are unable to love our neighbors and we are not able to love our neighbors if we are bitter. So again, we're not talking about why bitterness is bad today. Today, I want to talk about what it is we do in the midst of bitterness, or how to prevent bitterness. We're going to be in Psalm 4. And it's in Psalm 4 that we're going to see David walk us through a prayer. This prayer that is prescriptive and how to deal with bitterness, and how to help others come out of bitterness. And how David, instead of growing bitter in the midst of injustice and pain, he leads us to fight it off. So in Psalm 4, we're in Psalm 4 today. He starts off with this. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Right now, David is walking through a time of who knows what. If you know the story of David, you know he went through all sorts of seasons of pain and turmoil and even injustice to a certain extent. 
And in the midst of whatever he's going through, he opens up with this prayer. Answer me when I call. It actually sounds like this command. It sounds like God is, David is ordering God. But when we read it in the emotion, we can see that David isn't commanding God. He is pleading with God. Oh God of my righteousness, answer me when I call. Can you sense the emotion that David is crying out with? This audacious plea for himself to be heard by God. And look what he's doing here. In this very first verse, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's placing God at the center of his identity. God of my righteousness, God of my purpose, God of my right standing. Everything that I have, you are my God of it. He's placing God at the center of his identity. Nothing else defines who David is. Not the people that has caused him pain. Not the circumstances. Not his anger. God defines David. And look what he says in the second line then. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You notice how what David is doing here. He's remembering back to all of the other times that he was in distress, to where the temptation of bitterness may have arisen. And he's saying, Lord, you prevented this from happening before, and I trust you will do it again. I can't do it. You are going to do it. I believe in your faithfulness to me. He's simply crying out for relief relief from God. In whatever capacity, God would grant it. David isn't saying, God, hey, I need you to change this person. He isn't telling God, I need you to do this for me. He's not demanding God for X, Y, or Z. He's just saying, God, in whatever capacity I could be relieved from you, please do it. In your divine sovereignty, give me relief. It's interesting because here David is telling God, hey, whatever you have to do, you do it. But how often do you and I, when things don't go our way, when someone irks us, when someone irritates us, when things are unfair and unjust, we go to God and say, you need to change it in this manner, in this timing. You need to change this person's attitude. You need to change this circumstance. I need a million dollars to make me happy. And we go to God with these demands. And yet David here is He's not demanding of God. He's simply saying, Lord, in whatever capacity you would give me relief, do it in your way and your timing. And ultimately, David is satisfied in simply knowing this, that God hears him. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David is the king of Israel. And even he understands that he does not deserve to be heard by the divine, sovereign God. He understands that it is simply an act of grace from God to be heard. And yet, how often do you and I believe that we're entitled to be heard from God? You see how David is starting off? In the midst of injustice, in the midst of pain, in the midst of turmoil, he's not going to God with demands. He's not going to God and saying, woe is me. He's saying, God, you are my very identity. You have given me relief in the past, and I trust you hear me now. He places God before everything. 
He realigns everything in his life. So often you and I, we have problems, we have injustice, we have pain and turmoil, and it's right here the size of our hand. And we put it right here. And it doesn't matter how big the promises of God are, as long as this small thing in front of us is right in front of our eyes, we become blind to everything else. And so what David does, in order to prevent from being blind to the promises of God, he takes the circumstances, he takes the people, he takes his anger, removes it, and he puts it behind the promises that are of God, God's faithfulness. We want to stop being bitter, we want to stop being angry, then we need to begin to learn what it is to realign our circumstances. And this is just verse 1. Look at verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. You know, as we deal with anger turning into bitterness, we are tempted to do things our own way. We are tempted to compensate for ourselves and what we believe to be our weaknesses. We are tempted to compensate for the mistakes others have made, to make ourselves look better. And yet David here is saying, why would I do this? Why would I replace my honor for something of shame? Why would I stoop so low to respond to my anger in such a worldly way? And he's challenging the men around them. Why are you stooping so low? To seek after vanity, to seek after lies. You know, we often, we try to make ourselves better than those around us. And yet here, David is saying, how long will I, how long will you love vain words? We all, my love language is words of affirmation. I like to be fed words of affirmation. But how, how often do I take those words of affirmation and replace them for my standing with God? How often do I feed myself? You can do it. You got this. You're good. You're, you're better than that person. And I listen to my own words before I even begin to think that God is hearing me. So often, when someone is mad at us or when someone has made a bad decision or they've hurt us, we look for that juicy gossip. We look for that one thing that, eh, there may be a small white lie into it, but you know what? It makes us feel better about ourselves, so therefore we're going to hang on to that one juicy line. And we might even tell a few others about it. When we think someone has a negative opinion of us, we then make up our own negative opinions about them. And we say, ah, oh, we, we didn't need their opinion anyways. In doing this, David is saying, you have replaced your honor with God and replaced it with shame. You've taken your honor with God and replaced it with shame. Our honor is not in finding a better status among men. You see, here it even says, don't you know, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Is this not enough for you and me? Is it not enough to know that God has already placed us apart from the rest of the world, that we have a unique status with him? Anger turns into bitterness when we have placed our anger before our status with God, when we have allowed ourselves to see nothing but the blinding circumstances and forget all about the faithfulness of God. There may have been an injustice. You may have been hurt badly. You may have experienced something beyond this world, but when, 
when your goal is to be seen correctly in the eyes of man, when that becomes your fighting point, the hill to die on, instead of simply being heard by God, then friends, you, we, I have made our, my anger into an idol of bitterness. David is defeating bitterness by placing God before man, before anything else. Bitterness is defeated by placing God before man, by not allowing circumstances to come before his promises, by not allowing that one person who said something bad about you to come before your status with him. Bitterness is defeated when we place God before man. The trick to loving our neighbor, the trick to beating bitterness, is to be consumed with God before we are consumed with our neighbor. We should allow our consumption with God to lead us to loving our neighbor. But we should not be consumed with our neighbor before we are consumed with God. Because once again, like we have been sharing this entire series, our ability to love our neighbor is an indicator of our relationship with God. Where is your relationship with God? What is your relationship with God like? What is your plea to him? Are you going to God with these lists of demands saying, this needs to change, this needs to change, and this needs to change? Or are you simply saying, God, hear my prayer and give me relief, just like you have done in the past? Or are you going to him and saying, no, 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 no. I need it done now, and I need it done in this particular way. Because if that is your prayer, friends, you are not praying. You are just complaining. And so we continue then. Verses 4 and 5. This is where, oh, I love this. 4 says, be angry. Fine. Be angry. And do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Be angry. Fine. There's no sin in being angry. We all get angry. Jesus got angry. Be angry and do not sin. It's what we've been talking about. Not letting our anger become an idol in our life. Not allowing our anger be what determines our actions and our words. Be silent instead. Be silent in the midst of your anger. Now, I'm not just speaking vocally here. I'm not just saying, hey, just don't say a word. I'm saying, even in your thoughts, be silent. Look what David's prayer was leading up to this point in time. He is directing every single one of his thoughts back to his identity with God. Most of us know better that when we're angry and bitter, not to go spouting it off. Most of us know better. But how often in the midst of our silence are we ravaging in thoughts, thinking, oh, man, they, and we let that just run and run and run. And yeah, we're silent. We're not saying anything. We're keeping the peace. But in our heads, they're dying. Figuratively, of course. None of us would actually. Right? Even in our thoughts, be silent. We must allow God to work in our thoughts as much as our words. And instead of spouting off out of reaction, we must reflect silently and offer right sacrifices to trust and put our trust in 
the Lord. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I'm brought back to the story of Cain and Abel. And if you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, it's simply the fact that here we have the very first murder that ever occurred. Two brothers bringing an offering to the Lord. One offering was accepted, one was not. One had faith, supposedly, and one did not. This one over here, he gets angry. And the Lord said, why are you angry? Simply do well and you will be accepted. Otherwise, sin is at your door and it is looking to conquer you. If you let your anger continue to dwell, if you keep on focusing your anger on simply the fact that your brother was accepted and you weren't, you will fall. And guess what happens? Cain, in the midst of his anger, decides to continue to live in that anger instead of heeding the words of the Lord. And he kills his brother. All because of one bad offering. And yet here the psalmist, David is saying, put your trust in the Lord and offer right sacrifices. You see, it wasn't Abel's responsibility. It wasn't Abel's responsibility to say, okay, fine, I guess I'll take my offering back. No, it was Cain's responsibility to simply do well and offer a right sacrifice. But how often do we come into play here and we get bitter and we get angry because something went right for somebody else or something is going good for the people down the road and we say, no. I'm angry, so therefore they must change. And we wait for them to change while we dwell in our bitterness. And the Lord is saying, look, just do well in your thoughts and your actions and your heart, and sin will not conquer you. But the more that we wait for someone else to change, the more the bitterness continues to live in our hearts. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Otherwise, bitterness will conquer you while you are waiting for someone else to change. It's time that we don't pray for the other to change, but we pray for our heart to be molded. Cain, as the bitter brother, his responsibility was simply to let the Lord work on his heart, not to wait for Abel to become worse off. But again, how often do we wait for someone to become worse off for us to feel better about ourselves? When the entire time we are called to offer right sacrifices. Bitterness is defeated when we pray for our own heart change before waiting for someone else's heart to change. Now, this seems contradictive. I mean, uh, shouldn't we be praying for others? Well, of course we should be praying for others. But let me ask you this. How often in the midst of your bitterness are you actually praying for the betterment of someone else that you're bitter at? Or are you saying instead, God, change this person's heart so they would like me more. God, change this person's heart so I would like them more. God, change this person's heart so that my days can simply be better. Yeah, we're praying for somebody else, but look how the focus is only on me. God, change them so my life is better. So I'm suggesting instead of praying for them in a self-focused manner, start praying for yourself, myself, ourselves so that we can receive them better and love our neighbor in spite of the faults, in spite of the pain they have caused us. Because we aren't called to love our neighbor only when they treat us well. We have been called to love our neighbor in spite of when they hurt us, in spite of how angry we are at them. You know, if everyone just waited for everyone to change, nothing would ever be accomplished and no one would ever love their neighbor. If everyone simply waits for everyone to change, no one loves their 
neighbor. The change starts with you and me. And so we come to the end of this psalm now. Verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Now I want to stop there just real quick. There are many who say, who will show us some good? In this one particular verse, the first half of it at least, David is calling out everybody. Everybody who is only focused on themselves. He's calling them out. This is a victim mentality. There are those who will, sh- who will show us some good. Woe is me. The world is out against me. Everyone hates me. Who will show us some good? And David's like, no. Stop playing the victim card. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Because this isn't, this isn't mourning. This isn't someone who is grieving. This is a complaint. It is whining. As one commentator put it, it's simply pessimism. For the sake of pessimism, I would say. This is when we begin to throw ourselves pity parties and forget who God is in our lives. This is when we are only thinking of the bad and forgetting the good. It's when we are consumed with our circumstances. It's when we are consumed with our bad friends or bad community or a clicky environment. We get so focused on the bad stuff, we forget all of the good. Because we're so focused on what's wrong with this life, and we say, who will show us some good? Someone fix this. No matter your situation, no matter the injustice, no matter how unfair you think something is, it is always a choice to live in bitterness. And we see this choice played out then as we continue in verse 6. And David responds to this. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. David is choosing not to be so consumed with what he believes is wrong in the world. He consumes himself with the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He is choosing to move away from the victim mentality and to live in victory. When the temptation to say, woe is me, and to throw ourselves a little uh, violin pity party, David immediately calls out and says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Let me experience the joy, your joy, that is greater than anything in this world. And then he says, It is in you and in you alone that I both lie down and sleep. Because you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Friends, it is only when we dwell with the Lord that we can feel peace and safety within our very own skin. And it is only when we can feel safety within our very being that we are then able to love our neighbor. You might say, well... You don't know what I've been through, Justin. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know the life I've been dealt, and you're right, I don't. And more than likely, if I had the life that you've been living in, the circumstances that you've had to walk through, more than likely, I would find the temptation of bitterness nearly impossible to overcome. But I can tell you right now, there is no injustice, there is no pain, there is no harsh word that someone has said to you that is greater than the promises of God. And if you believe that today, then you have placed your anger as an idol before your very eyes and you are forgetting what God has commanded you to do. 
There is no injustice. There is no pain. There is no turmoil in this world that is greater than the goodness of God. And it is a choice to either live in your anger, to put all the snow back onto the road, or to allow your anger to fade away, to receive access to your neighbors, and to remember the goodness of God. Friends, it is a choice. Bitterness is defeated when we choose joy before anger. Bitterness is defeated when we place God before man, when we pray for our our hearts before their hearts, and when we choose joy before anger. We cannot love God if we are unable to love our neighbor, and we cannot love our neighbor if we are bitter. It's your call today. It's your choice today. It's my choice today. As Chip has shared in the last few weeks, this is not an option. This isn't actually a choice if we want to be a follower of Christ. If we are to accept the invite of Christ to follow him, to be his disciple, to have a relationship with him, this isn't an option. This isn't a part of saying, hey, I'm going to accept the relationship of Jesus and then do X, Y, and Z afterwards. Friends, today, if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are mandated to move from your bitterness. But you don't have to do it alone. David outlines everything for us, step by step by step. It is the ultimate cheat sheet. And every day is our final exam. But who cares if it's a final exam every day if we've been given all of the answers? If we place God before man, if we pray for our hearts changed before we're waiting for someone else's heart to change, if we simply choose joy instead of anger, and you're like, yeah, Justin, those are great pithy phrases. Those are great things to to hear from behind the pulpit. Yeah, great. Great motivational speech, Justin. Look, friends, this isn't rhetoric for the sake of rhetoric. This is God's promise. My challenge to you today is, have you actually tried these steps? Have you actually tried to allow God to come before your anger? Why do you put so much pressure on yourself to figure out the answers? Why do you put so much pressure on yourself to get rid of your own anger and bitterness? Look what David is doing. He's saying, God, you are my source of identity, and I cannot do anything but through your relief. When you place God before man, you're not doing anything on your own. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to experience his love and his joy so that you and I can go and love our neighbors. And so today, today we're going to be, ta- be taking uh, communion. And uh, man, how poignant is this? 
And we're going to do it just a little differently. If you haven't received the elements from the back, go ahead and grab those now. But we're going to, I didn't even talk to them about this, but we're going to do things just a little differently today. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'm going to go ahead and read, read the scripture to remind us of what, of what is going on here. But we're not going to take it just systematically today. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're going to do today is I want, I want to give you guys the freedom that before you take the elements, before you take of the bread and drink of the grape juice, will you allow God, will you allow God to move in your heart to show you where you may have become blind to show you where inklings of bitterness have been coming in and will you pray for his relief and will you choose joy before anger this morning in Mark 14 Mark 14 it says this and as they were eating he took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. His sacrifice for you and me so that you and I, we don't have to live in a victim mentality, but that we can live victoriously. And so today, I'm going to pray right now. And they're going to sing after I pray. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, seated. Allow the Lord to work on your heart. And after you've partaken of the elements, stand, rise, and sing celebrate in victory the joy that God has promised us. Father, we come to you this morning declaring our love for you. Saying, hallowed is your name. And Lord, today we ask that your kingdom would come in each of our hearts just as you would have it in heaven. Lord, if there is bitterness, if there is anger that is residing in places where it should not be residing, Lord, would you help us to place you before it? Would you help us to choose joy instead of anger? Would you mold our hearts as we, before we wait for others to change? God, we partake of these elements. We we do this in remembrance of you so that we might celebrate in victory. So God, be with us this morning. Work in our hearts. We love you. We praise you. And it's through the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of your Son that we pray all of this. Amen. Think, pray, discern, and then worship. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 1030 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.